Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles First Look with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles First Look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. KJ, look forward to discussing a win for Florida State. It's been a while been a while since there's been a game to recap period so I guess that's a starting point but certainly I know it was Duke it was still a win there was offense the defense actually is the unit that made the play that turned momentum back in favor of Florida State so we'll get into nitpicking and doing and all that but we can just enjoy a win how about that as a starting point I was shocked is too strong a word but I was unbelievably impressed with how Florida State was able to come out in those first three or three series. Of course, the offense scored on the first four. But but you didn't see the rust. You didn't see um, some of the lethargiousness that you thought you might. Uh, and the other thing that I was impressed with, Tommy, is the kids that played looked like they wanted to be there. And that was very impressive to me. Well, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. I thought the, the coach's comments, and we talked about this on our Wednesday show, I thought they were pretty telling earlier this week when they, they really pinpointed back to Tuesday a week ago, Tuesday of the bye week, that there was a noticeable difference. And it was in the time frame when Florida State found out they would be playing more football. But I, I don't want to cast stones or point fingers at guys that are no longer there, but the guys that are there, and they may not be the most talented group in the world, and certainly they're not the deepest group in the world, but they want to be there. And that is huge given what's happened and occurred over the last three or four or five seasons. And, and it's very refreshing. I, I hope our fans can truly appreciate the effort that this group of kids put out, as well as the coaches. The coaches were staying with them. Uh, and maybe just maybe that corner's been turned a little bit. Still a lot of work to do. Not going to get done overnight. Uh, but uh, a lot of momentum going into the signing day, which will be Wednesday. Uh, the last game, which you hope will stay on the books and have the opportunity to play. Uh, and, um, and things, at least the trajectory is moving in a positive direction, it appears. I don't think you can argue that. Now, uh, you know, momentum is, is as good as the next day's starting pitcher, right? Is that the baseball axiom? So Florida State yep. will have to get ready for Wake Forest, and we'll see. Right. 
Signing day occurs before that, though, so at least you got a good taste in the mouth of uh, commits, uh, you know, that are gonna, that are going to sign, and anybody else who who may decide to come to FSU. Uh, we're not here to talk signing day, though, so we'll talk more about this football game. But rather than us do it, let's hear from head coach Mike Norvell. This is his comments after his team finally got a chance to play a game again after four weeks. Not often you get a four-week break in the middle of the season, and, and, and honestly, it wasn't a break. We all we don't have to rehash it. We lived it. But Florida State gets the win, and here was Mike Norvell's comments when he met the media after the game. Hey guys, just uh, to start off, um, you know, really, really proud of this football team. Uh, it's been a long time since we got opportunity to compete in the game, and uh, it's been a lot of adversity. It's been an extremely challenging, uh, you know, last month. But uh, to see our guys come out and, uh, you know, play the way that they did. You know, we got off to a great start. Uh, there's a lot of energy, a lot of excitement about the opportunity to compete. Uh, you know, saw some adversity show up in the second quarter, and then was just so pleased with, uh, you know, how we how we finished there uh, in the second half. Uh, you thought our guys uh, battled throughout. Um, you know, we were able to uh, just to see the explosive play show up. Had you know, had some big plays, you know, created some takeaways defensively. Uh, he was playing a lot of young players, and uh, you know, just to see those guys um, continue to, to to work and invest in the in their improvement. Uh, you know, it was a it was, it was a great great sight to see tonight. And uh, you know, we also wanted want to recognize the, uh, the seniors and and some of the guys that are that are playing their last or played their last game here at Dope. Uh, just. Grateful for all the investment that they've made into this program, and uh, there's been a lot of change. Uh, you know, there's been uh, you know challenges. You know, it, there's been the, you know, plenty of ups and downs throughout that throughout that journey. Um, but uh, you know, I, I absolutely appreciate them and for their commitment to this program, their commitment to, to doing things uh, the right way, and, and uh, you know, obviously helping uh, lay the foundation for, for where this program is kind of going to build uh, to get back to. And, uh, you know, just was grateful to see those guys be able to go out with a victory and uh, was really proud of this team, uh, the staff. It's uh, like I said, it's been a, it's been a challenging month to have to work through, but uh, these guys went to work at practice, uh, you know, gave, gave a great effort and uh, you know, I was excited to see them play and thought they did a, did a wonderful job here tonight. Can, can you tell us uh, how many scholarship players you had available today? And, um, and if I was wondering if you could talk about the play of some of the walk-ons like Trayshawn Ward and some of the guys that, that really stepped up for you. You know, we're, we're down in numbers, and I don't want to get into, into specific uh, numbers with that. Um, you know, I was glad that uh, we were able to get some guys back. But, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're pretty good into our depth. Uh, you know, guys are having to, to, to step up uh, to, to, to the occasion. And, uh, you know, obviously guys are assuming new roles, uh, new responsibilities. And, uh, you know, just really pleased with, uh, you know, some guys that got their first, you know, Real extensive, uh, you know, opportunity, and you see Trayshawn with a big run. Um, you know, I thought all the backs, you know, played at a high level. I mean, we had to, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of moving pieces, you know, especially when uh, Ontario went down. Uh, you know, you, we were playing multiple multiple running backs at the receiver spot, and we were down a couple a uh, couple people there. And you know, it's just that's part of this year. And uh, you know, adversity adversity has shown up, and uh, you know, like I tell these guys that you know it's, that's our opportunity to, to show the response and show the heart that we have. Um, you're really pleased with uh, you know you you know, our young guys, but you know even our older guys that uh, you know that have, that have had to uh, you assume new, you know, new roles and you know try to do everything they can to allow us to play this game and to uh, to be able to field to be able to field a team and 
you know, it was, it was, it was great to see, you know, some of the success that those guys were able to achieve tonight. What was it specifically that allowed you to have so much success on the ground? 324 yards rushing. Uh, that's definitely a bit mark. Well, you know, I thought, I thought the guys did a good job throughout the course of the week. Um, you know, I really liked our game plan going into it. And, you know, Duke did some things to, to uh, you know, adjust there early. And, you know, our, our guys just continued to trust their fundamentals. Um, I thought the backs, you know, ran extremely hard. But our O-line, um, you see the growth that those guys, that, that, uh, that they're making. And uh, it was it was impressive just to – to, to see their response uh, throughout the course of the game that allowed to, for some of the big plays, um, you know, creating some scenes for, for, uh, for the backs and um, you know, the confidence that, that is being developed through the work that we're putting in and the investment that's being made, uh, you know, that showed up to me. And uh, just like I said, really, really pleased with the O-line, uh, the running backs, tight ends, and, uh, you know, I thought the quarterback, uh, you know, Jordan did some, some nice things uh, when he got had an opportunity to pull the ball and, uh, you know, also showed up in an explosive manner. Hi, Mike. You mentioned Jordan. Uh, what did he do particularly well as both a runner and thrower today? And, and then for him to kind of rebound after some rough drives there, I guess, what does that say about his growth and development uh, mentally? Yeah, you know, I, I thought that that was one of the things I was really pleased with. And, um, you know, Jordan, you know, had some explosive plays with his legs, but I, I thought he really managed the game. It was very, was very efficient uh, with what we asked him to do in the passing game. Um, there was, a, you know, a couple of plays that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll learn from and, and continue to move forward. But I thought he had, I thought he had a, a, a good, uh, you know, balance to, you know, just emotionally and in all aspects. And you really did a good, uh, did a really did a good, did a good job of taking what the defense was giving us uh, throughout the course of the night. And, uh, you know, I, I think that makes us go, uh, especially with, uh, you know, with some of the guys that were down at, uh, at various positions. Mike Norvell, obviously pleased. And there was a lot to be pleased with. And we saw flashes of it. We'll, we'll talk about a lot of different guys offensively that had really nice games. And defensively, Keith, been a while since we've sung the praises of the safeties but I feel like we're going to have to tip our cap based on several interceptions and just some good play. Agreed. And remember, this is a game in which Florida State had three corners total. So the safeties had to play more, uh, and they showed out. I think a thing that we need to talk about too, Tommy, you know, when, when Florida State has gotten ahead or scored early in prior games and then let the opponent back in the ball game. It's been ugly. It hasn't been pretty. Uh, I think this team showed that they're beginning to learn some lessons because they went up 28-0. They allowed Duke to come back with those three scores, but they didn't lose heart. And more importantly, they didn't lose the game. And they came out in the second half and picked right back up again so you can point your finger and say, oh, why, why do they let them score three times? Or you can point your finger and say, when that's happened in the past, the outcome hasn't been good, but this time the outcome was good. Maybe just maybe this program has learned a lesson. That was what Mike Norvell was absolutely positively most pleased about. And we heard some of his comments a little while ago, how Florida State responded in the face of adversity, because we all know, not just this year's team, really – even Jimbo's last edition, certainly the two years under Coach Taggart, Florida State has folded when there has been adversity, and that didn't happen. And you can say what you want. It was Duke, but you take it, and and may, and, and, and that's something you build on. You know, I, I can remember 
at the time Jimbo said it, we all scoffed at it. And this was 2012 and Florida state won an ACC championship. And he made a big deal about it and said, these guys have never won a championship. It's a big deal. And the media and the fan reaction was, well, you blew the game against NC state. You're not playing for a national title. Nobody cares about an ACC championship. It's nothing. Well, then they go win the orange bowl championship. And the reaction was, well, it was Northern Illinois. And then 2013 happens. And all of a sudden, you know, you can point back and say, well, maybe, maybe that was substantial or significant, even though we didn't realize it in the moment, not saying FSU's winning a national title next year. I am saying maybe next time adversity comes, they handle it better than what they've done prior to the Duke game. How do you learn lessons? You, you watch someone else and you don't repeat their mistakes or you know what you did wrong and you don't repeat your own mistakes. And each one of those is a stepping as a step forward. Each one of those is a learning lesson and you just build upon it. That's how momentum gets started. Yes, it can be taken away quickly, but you can't start momentum until you have some good things happen. Florida state had a lot of good things happen. We'll talk about that. We'll start with the offense. Florida state got the ball first scored on its first four drives. So that's where we'll start uh, in our next segment. FSU wins it big over Duke. We'll come back and uh, continue our conversation about that victory here on front row Knowles first look front row Knowles first look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith back on front row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you, Keith. The offense, there there was, you already mentioned it, you know, how would they come out? And I asked Coach Norvell about it. Was he concerned about either rust or anxiety from players being super hyped? They haven't actually played somebody else in four weeks. And he's paraphrasing. He said, well, you're always concerned about things like that. But I felt good because of how we'd practiced the last two weeks. So that points back to, you know, sort of a theme from our first segment. But, man, they they looked polished. And there's been lots of games this year where that's been the case for the first drive when they've been on script. But this continued for the entire first quarter and the first four drives to build a 28-0 lead. It started with the offensive line, Tommy. Uh, I thought that that unit played probably its best game of the year. Yes, it's Duke. But remember, Duke had uh, the number one and the number three sack leaders, at least in the ACC from a statistical standpoint. And there was only one sack in the entire ball game. Started with the offensive line. I thought Dillingham did a phenomenal job with his play calling because he took advantage of the things that Travis does best, which is the RPO, and then moving around in the pocket. I don't recall more than a handful of quote-unquote pocket passes, you know, as we would traditionally call them. And I think that's the coaching staff learning what Travis does well. And, of course, after four weeks, he was finally healthy. You know, there's, there was the issue about the perceived concussion. There was a real strong uh, rumor going around that he had an injured hand. We know he suffered from, you know, just being beat up because he's been hit so much. But for the first time, it appeared he was very comfortable with, with what was going on physically. Started with the offensive line, some great play calling. And then, you know, in Phil Philly, and, uh, we, we saw – we saw what he can be, and, and that just sparked everyone. The running game, which we've all talked about, that, uh, that Norvell was known for at Memphis and all the way back to his time in Arizona, uh, really showed itself, and then it opened up the passing game. So it, it worked very, very well. All the parts and pieces seemed to fit nicely. Jordan Travis threw the ball 
as well as I've seen him throw it. And Keith, Kenny Dillingham said that on Monday. He said Jordan had his best day of practice. He's throwing it better than I've seen him throw it since I've been here. And a lot of times you hear coaches say those comments and you're thinking, well, I want to see it to believe it. Well, I saw the post pattern in the first half that he threw to Ontario Wilson that Ontario unfortunately got hurt on. Beautiful ball. And obviously, and I know Ontario was open, still a beautiful throw. The one in the second half, which was, you talk about setting a play call up. I'd have to go back and count, but I think it was at least six times, three to each side, that they ran that little toss sweep or whatever they call it, the short pitch to the tailback. So then to get to play seven or eight where you just fake it and Douglas is open by 20 yards, and that was a beautiful ball. So I'm not saying that he's going to be a pocket passer that's going to be in Canton someday, but it, you, it was improvement, even if it was Duke. You could see that. And again, it goes back to, you know, did he have an issue with his hand or not? I don't care. That time off benefited him, and we saw what he's capable of doing when he's healthy. Let's go back to the running game here. You talked about it. So, Jayshon Corbin had three touchdowns. He got to grab the sledgehammer and break the rock after the game. And Coach Norvell said it was as much for his game performance as it was his leadership. I mean, he's just a sophomore and hasn't been here his full time. But he really – I I refer to him as a grizzled old veteran. He kind of chuckled when I said that, but he kind of feels that way. He's almost the grandfather of that offense, even though he's new here and still, you know, young in his career, but he's, he's, he's run hard all year in short yardage. We saw that again, you mix in Toa Feely who looked fresh and and fast and, and he's got a way. Let's just talk about him for a second, Keith. He's not big and you would not look at him and think that he's a college running back. But yet he he also has a little knack to turn sideways and fall forward. He doesn't it doesn't feel like he gets pushed backwards a whole lot either. Not the same as Corbin, but but for his body shape and size, it's deceiving. He doesn't take direct hits. You know, we used to talk about Warwick Dunn, certainly not putting him in that category, but you very rarely have ever saw Warwick Dunn get squared up. Yeah. He would just be able to turn and shift and move. And he has that same type of uh, of ability. And both of them can catch the ball. That's the other thing that makes them very dangerous in this Norvell offense uh, is their ability to catch the ball and then do something with it. Uh, so, yeah, I thought both of them uh, showed very well. And I'm one of the guys I'm, – I'm a huge believer in Webb and, you know, was disappointed not in him but in the fact that he chose to opt out. Hopefully we'll be back in January. I really thought prior to tonight, prior to this game, that he probably had the best upside. But I tell you, both of these running backs changed my mind in this contest. And then you have Treshawn Ward, who's a walk-on. And the only time we've talked about Treshawn Ward is when he was the second team running back last year in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl behind the other walk-on, right? And so all of a sudden, he looks lightning fast. And then Ja'Kai Douglas, who we know is fast, uh catches he had four catches coming in he catches three balls two of them for touchdowns so I mean those are all guys you can build around for future years and they're guys that will give you effort uh granted they weren't uh, five stars coming out of high school <coughs> pardon me but we've been talking about this need to bring in a kids that want to be there b kids that will work and will be coachable and then c having a coaching staff, a nutrition program, a strength and conditioning program that will develop athletes into football players. And these are the types of raw materials, if you will, that you can do that with. In other words, 
they all have an upside and they want to get to that upside. Florida State averages over eight yards per play. They finish with 522 yards of offense, 324 yards rushing, right at 200 passing, 198 passing. And I know that Duke lost its its best edge rusher or whatever at some point there, but I'm not going to take away – that doesn't diminish what this offense does. I mean, Florida State already had a, a decent lead and it moved the ball even when he was in there. But how about this, Keith, as I look at the, the drive chart, when's the last time Florida State had three – one play touchdown drives in a game. They had three of them <laughs> against Duke. Now, one of them was a really short field because Hamza had the interception and it was a 14 yard carry by Corbin. But the other was the long run by Toa Philly and the long throw to Douglas. They also had a two play scoring drive for a touchdown. I mean, so that's part of the reason the defense was gassed, but that's efficient offensively and that's good, good play calling. Well, Coach Dillingham has talked about the fact that the explosive play has been missing and right, wrong, or indifferent. That is a part of Norvell's offense. You, you want some explosive plays. Uh, and I haven't looked at the drive chart. You're a step ahead of me, but I think you'll be also surprised at how few three and outs there were on that drive chart as well. And unfortunately that has been plaguing Florida state in games past where they'd go two or three series and not even pick up a first down. Yeah, looking at it now, they had a three and out uh, in the second quarter. Well, that one was the ball Corbin fumbled on, so not really a three and out. He fumbled on the third play. They had two three and outs that led to punts late in the second quarter, and then I think they had a three and out late in the game in garbage time, which we won't count. But 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 all in all, they moved the ball. It was it was good offense. And they were very thin at receiver, by the way. So Ontario goes out, but they already were without Warren Thompson and Jordan Young. So they had five scholarship receivers. Ontario goes out early on after that nice catch where he comes up at the one. You're down to four scholarship receivers. You're basically using your running backs. Uh, you, you know, you had a lot of, uh, you know, you're using Cam McDonald to block. Not a lot of options there in terms of pass catchers. Exactly. And, and when they had their opportunities – uh, they took advantage of it and you saw some pretty nice catches. One of them was ruled out of bounds, uh, but some nice individual efforts to go after the ball as well. Not the drops that we had seen plague this receiver core previously. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a good point, Keith. And let me, let me pull up his stats real quick. I'm, I'm talking about uh, Kentron Portier. He only had one catch for eight yards. Is that right? Well, he's the one who had the catch that was ruled out where I thought he got a foot down then fell on his backside. He also had a great catch where he worked back to the ball and right on the sideline. That must have been the catch. But he's the guy who got the extended playing time when Ontario went out. And I thought I thought it was more catches than that, but I, I thought he looked good. Uh, granted, there hasn't been a lot to be excited about in the receiving core this year. Maybe that was a little something for him. We had talked about the fact that he had a lot of upside from a talent standpoint, but he had some drops he, that had cut into his playing time. Uh, I thought he blocked well uh, as well. Uh, and, and I think you saw him. I, he's the type of kid, Tommy, that, you know, the light comes on. And it usually happens, you know, the sixth game, the eighth game, the tenth week of the season. You know, you, you've kind of been walking around not sure exactly what you're doing. You get thrown in. You make a mistake. Your confidence gets uh, takes a hit. 
And then, then all of a sudden on one day or maybe back to back days in practice, the light comes on and you take it to that next level. And he's a kid that appears that has happened to him. And I think some continued upside will be, be what we think about him as he goes forward. Anything else you want to add offensively? I, I thought, I just think the offensive line and, and Travis working the way he did, if you go back and look at the tape, he really held those RPO fakes longer than normal. You know, it, it was two seconds, two and a half seconds. It wasn't one second, one and a half second. And he was really selling that. And I think he was doing a much better job of reading them. There were very few times when he handed the ball off and the back got immediately hit or he pulled the ball and he got immediately hit. So again, the offensive line meshing a little bit, by no means am I telling you they're ready to play, you know, for an ACC championship, but they got better and Travis better at, at, at running the RPO. And of course they did a lot more of that run down the line of scrimmage and potentially throw the ball. In fact, he was crossed the line of scrimmage on one of them. They didn't throw the flag on it, but we won't count that. And so you're, you're making defenses to have to prepare for all the different things you can do within that. There was another time in his defense that he was two yards past the line of scrimmage and thought about throwing it and then realized he couldn't throw it. And he kept it and he ran for exactly three yards. Exactly. All in all, uh, you know, hard to find fault with the offense uh, when you score 56 points in a, in a football game. We'll take a break, come back, talk about the defense. Stay with us here on front row Knowles first look front row Knowles first look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on front row Knowles first look, Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. Let's talk defense now, KJ. And despite the fact that uh, there is a couple plays where, where Florida State was just, you know, wrong gap, gave up big plays. Uh, you know, you look at the first four drives of the game, and, and there was one constant there, and that is that first down was no yardage or lost yardage for Duke. And the end result, they're behind the chains, and they're punting or they're forced to pass, and they threw an interception. Football's a pretty easy game if you, if you can get them behind the chains. <laughs> Defense, you know, we, we talk about on the offensive side about, you know, winning first downs. Well, turn around 180 degrees. That's the secret to success defensively is winning first down. If you can put them in second and eight, second and 10, second and 12, it completely changes the, the rhythm and the play calling. Uh, all we have to do is look at what's happened to Florida State in games past this year when they couldn't get anything going offensively on first down. Well, converse as well is true as well. If you can win first down defensively, then you can start doing some additional things. Now, obviously, Duke was a little bit handicapped with their starter going out early in the third period, um, third quarter, uh, their quarterback, because he's, he's pretty good. Uh, he's not going to set the world on fire, but he does okay within that uh, Cutcliffe system. Uh, so that helped FSU in the second half. But those first four drives, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find, uh, you know, you'd have to really look hard to find some errors. Obviously, as you mentioned, they gave up some bigger plays later on in the ball game, but uh, early on the defense was impressive. So let me just, let me put some numbers behind that. So Florida state's leading seven zip Duke's first time on offense, their first play was a two yard loss. Well, guess what? That's a three and out and a punt. So now the second time they get the ball uh, running back gets a one yard gain. So you're second and nine. What do they do? 
they throw the ball. It's picked off by Hamza Nazaldine. So Florida State scores again. Duke gets it. Two-yard loss on Duke's third possession to start that drive. Guess what? It ends up with a punt. Uh, so again, you're behind. It's not to say that teams can't convert second and 12 or third and 12. Yes, it happens. It is to say that the odds are, are, are more stacked against it. And so that was good. So what changed in your opinion, 28, nothing first, was there any kind of a foot off the gas type thing? Because Florida state, all of a sudden it's looking like it's a laugher or was it more, uh, you know, Dukes, as the coaches will say, they're on scholarship too. And so they, they started clicking and got a little confidence. I think it was more of, and and again, this is not a criticism per se. This is what happens. But I think Coach Fuller, um, they started substituting more, what little bit they could. So they were playing really young players, and they weren't as as attacking as they would. Which which why would you? If you're up twenty eight nothing, there's no sense going you know all out blitz. Uh, you know, man-to-man bump-and-run coverage, you know, you change your style a little bit. And that goes back to what we talked about in the first segment about how to learn to, learning to play with the lead, you know, not falling into that uh, trap of, of uh, being a lackadaisical, keeping that momentum and that intensity up. Uh, but you're also right. Duke, you know, they, their coaches know how to make adjustments during the game as well. And uh, I hated that they came back with those three scores but at the same time, also mentioned in the first segment, FSU didn't fold. They responded. Lesson learned, hopefully. So during that, that 21-0 run that, that Duke had, so I'm looking at this, the first one, uh, they got a good kick return close to midfield. It took them three plays to go 52 yards. And that was sort of, okay, now Duke's – they're here. It's 28-7. The next one was the 64-yard – there was a bust somewhere – was a linebacker in the wrong gap? What did you see on the replay on that in terms of why that, how that opened up so much? Two things. Number one, they, their tight end, number 87, had been hurt most of the year and hadn't been playing much. And then Coach Cutcliffe even talked about it during halftime in his interview that they were getting him back in for some plays. Uh, he is a known – he can catch the ball well, but he is a known blocker. He had a huge block on that play and we had a misfit on the gap. And so I'm going to give Duke credit for executing. Well, Florida state made a mistake defensively, but we're going to give Duke credit for, for making it 14 points because they executed that play. Well, so it's 28, 21 and Duke gets the ball and you're thinking, Oh, they've got a chance to drive and tie this at half. And then lo and behold, and uh, somewhere I feel like, Peter Bulware and Raynard Wilson and Andre Wadsworth and every other Florida State defensive end from the 90s who were all Americans, and yet somehow when they'd play Duke, Duke would never get called for holding. Game in, game out. Corey Clark once wrote an article about it that detailed how Duke's offensive tackles had been flagged for holding like twice in the 90s against FSU. (laughs) Somehow those guys were rejoicing because Duke got called for holding three times in a row. I don't know that I've ever seen that. What was it, first and 41 or something? They got it to the 18-yard line, and they end up taking a knee at midfield. At midfield, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, maybe, maybe, just maybe, uh, if there is such a thing as the football gods, they were just smiling on FSU for that short period of time. I, I was just kind of chuckling. but So anyway, 
uh, the, the bigger point about the defense here as we continue. So you go in 28-21. Uh, this is what I mentioned in the first segment. You come out, still Duke starting quarterback. Uh, a huge play. It's a third down. The quarterback scrambles to his left. It was third and short. I think it was third and three. He gets popped about a yard shy of the marker. So he's not going to get the first. And it was Brendan Gant who laid the lumber, although Dix was there too. Not only do they stop him short, they force a fumble. And not that you're rooting for injury, but whatever happened on that play, the the quarterback ends up not being able to return. And that single-handedly completely changed momentum. I mean, Duke had it for the whole second quarter. And just like that, it was back to Florida State. And that's what you worry about when you come back out of halftime, particularly when your opponent has scored and you're kicking the ball off to them. It did two things. Number one, stopped that drive, but then it set Florida State's offense up with great field position. And we've talked about that, that, that FSU has, has faced how many games, how many drives within games, starting at their own 20, their own 12, their own eight, very rarely starting an opponent's side of the field. And that's exactly what you set Travis and the offense up for uh, early there in the third quarter. And Florida State would widen it back to 14, and then they'd get it to 21 and kind of cruise from there. Let's talk more about Brendan Gant, Keith. He's, he's been a safety. They've, they've used him at linebacker. I mean, they've moved guys around a lot, they've, especially this year. They've had to. Uh, he had a very athletic interception. We saw Jarvis Brownlee against NC State catch one between his legs. Well, Brendan Gant was already on his backside and managed to make that interception. Then uh, he's going to make that interception in the end zone whether or not there was pass interference there. So he got that one taken away, but then he forces a fumble. That's a big time effort from Brendan Gant in that game. Being able to turn the ball over and being able to make plays obviously is football 101. And that's been missing quite a bit from this Florida state defense. Uh, and, and as a result, by making those plays, you, you keep feeding and or turning that momentum. And FSU was finally able to do that in a ball game. Yes, I know it was Duke. But still, lessons learned, things experienced that you can draw upon later on when you need them, those are big plays by young kids um, that I think go a long way towards helping their confidence. In fact, I'm sure of it. What would you think about the Travis J one-handed snare? Travis is just, you know, Coach Norvell has talked about his ability to do things when he has the ball in his hand. But the other thing that he can do is get the ball in his hand. Uh, that was a very uh, acrobatic play. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, there, there are times when he makes young mistakes because he's young. And then there's other times that he shows that great athletic ability uh, like he did on that interception. Fabian Love, of course, went down, and that was a scary moment, especially in light of what happened at the Tucker Center earlier in the day on Saturday with Florida's best player going down in a scary situation uh, and, and thoughts and prayers with him. Fabian Lovett uh, ends up walking off on his own. Mike Norvell said after the game that, that, uh, that he's okay. He might have said he's fine, uh, which that's a great thing. I don't know if that means he's available next week. You're talking about a thin roster that – if they don't have Fabian or Ontario, just got two players more thin for next week. So, uh, again, the bigger story there is, especially because he lay motionless for a while before they flipped him over, I think we were all scared. One of the things that uh, I've come to understand is that when, when, they, when, when the 
training staff gets out to a player like that, a lot of times the player is not um, communicating with them, you know, for whatever reason. So I don't know this to be a fact, but I will tell you that if Fabian was not communicating with the training staff, they assume that's bad. Does that make sense? Right. Not, not that he's knocked out, but his, the fact that he is unable to communicate with them will make them be very, very hesitant, very, very slow, very, very deliberate. And that sometimes happens. I mean, you know, when you get injured, you usually do one of two things. I would squall like the three-year-old child I could be and would roll around like I was throwing a temper tantrum in Publix, you know, when I got hurt. Others get quiet, and if they don't respond to the training staff, the training staff has to assume that it's bad. And I think, I hope that's what happened. He was just not communicating with them. Then, then he recomposed himself and started talking, and, and then they were able to assist him. Um, but it was scary for a minute. There's no question. Florida State gets the job done, 56-35, to 35, the final. Hey, we'll take it. We'll turn the page. It's a win. And we'll go from there. Sound like a sound like a good deal? Uh, I, I, we're on a roll. We're on a roll. <laughs> All right. One more segment to go. We'll do it after this here on Front Row Knowles First Look. Front Row Knowles First Look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles First Look. We've got 10 minutes or so to finish things up. Keith, you've got a plethora of plays or players to choose from for our prime meridian performance or performer of the game. I'm going to go with Nazaldeen and that interception on Dukes. Oh, spoken like a position. former safety, just like a safety would. Well, for two reasons. Number one, the, the, the way that the play unfolded and the, the importance that it had on the game. But also, we may have seen him for the last time in a Seminole uniform at Doe Campbell Stadium. And I think he has been such an inspiration to this team and the way that he's come back from his injury, the fact that he could have opted out and chosen not to do anything because he was rehabbing uh, through the first, what, six games, seven games, eight games, whatever it was, that uh, we're going to give him the Prime Meridian uh, performer of the game. Remember, Prime Meridian Bank, two locations in Tallahassee, Capital Circle and Timberlane locations in Crawfordville and Lakeland as well. Uh, stop by uh, and visit them or look them up on the web at trymybank.com. Prime Meridian Bank. Go by and see them. They're good folks. He led the team in tackles, had that interception, had a tackle for loss. Uh, I talked to him in the post game and uh, good kid. And I, I did not ask him specifically about turning pro, uh, but I did ask him, about his decision to not opt out given his circumstances and continue to play for this team this year in a COVID year. And he, he basically said, Hey, I've, I've got more work to do. This team has more work to do. I mean, you couldn't, I, I mean, I don't know hams at all, but the coaches speak glowingly of them as players do. And uh, that came out in that interview. And I, and I don't know, you know, he may play against Wake next week. And if he decides to turn pro good for him, he's got an NFL future, but uh, he just is well composed and, and, you know, I think we all take for granted, Keith, how much work goes into and how much, frankly, fear can go into having an injury like what he had happen in Gainesville and 
you know, now all of a sudden his pro football life is flashing before his eyes. You got to, you got to work back and trust yourself. There's a lot that goes into that to get back even to where Hamza is right now. And he's still not back to where he will be. I never suffered a, a severe injury of that type. Uh, obviously I played with kids that did. And over the last 40 years, I've seen it happen. Uh, the, you're, you're exactly right. The, the work that you put into rehab is much different than the work you put in in practice. You're typically by yourself or with a training staff member. There is no coach, uh, or very few times there's a coach. You have to be completely self-driven. You have to be completely, um, what's the right word, dependent upon the athletic staff in terms of what they allow you to do and how they make you do it. And, and that type of thing. And, and the bigger part, after all that physical work, is exactly what you've spoken to, which is the mental part. You know, will, will I be able to come back? Will I be able to run? Will I be able to cut? Will I be able to take a hit? Will I be explosive? Will I be able to practice and not be limited? You know, you can have that knee reconstructed, and the first year you're back, if it swells up on every Tuesday and you have to miss practice on every Wednesday, that makes that next year that much more difficult. Uh, so there's a, just a number of things that go into that. Uh, and hats off to, to, to Hamza for, for battling back from that. And as you and I have talked on our Wednesday show, if he had come to me and asked me what he should do, I would have said opt out and not play. The fact that he continued to practice, continued to work, and continues to suit up is an absolute testament to his dedication to this program and his want to to get better. As we wrap things up a few minutes ago, Keith, I want to go back. You pointed out the field position. Now, this is because of turnovers uh, forced largely, but uh, Florida State, just running through their, their drives, they started at their own 25 at midfield at the Duke 14 at their own 35 own 25, their own 35, their own 25, the Duke 29, their own 45, the Duke 45, their own 32, their own 27, their own 33 and their own 25. I left one out and that is one where they started at their own seven. But you look at that. I mean, they have not had field position, starting field position like that. Man, I'd, I'd have to go game by game to look at it, but I would tell you it's been a long time since it's been it, that good. It hadn't been this year. Yeah, it hadn't been this it, year. No, it, not it, at all. It, it might be four or five years ago that they've had exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. that good. Yeah. You know, uh, the analytics will tell you that, you know, your chance of scoring points when you start on your own 25 is X. And when you start on your opponent's 35, it's seven or eight times X. It's, it's exponentially, exponentially easier to score, duh, when you take over the ball on the opponent's side of the ball, uh, 50. And FSU just hasn't been able to do that. And that goes back to defensively creating turnovers, winning on first down. You know, I, I, I think we haven't seen much, very little happen in the punt return game. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed in the kickoff coverage uh, against uh, Duke, but uh, that's a that's a conversation for another day. Uh, so special teams hasn't necessarily helped, but those turnovers are huge. They're they're just huge. Yeah, I didn't think it was a banner day for special teams. Of course, you miss a field goal, 
Mastermana, your starting punter, wasn't available. Uh, gave up some long returns. Still haven't sprung one. But let's think about this, Keith. And Mike Norvell didn't disclose the number of scholarship players he had available. Some media counted it out at 51 or 52. Some estimated high 40s. Well, I, you know, that's not a lot of bodies when you start getting into special teams, too. And, and the same guys have been out there on the field the whole time. So that's probably partially a factor in that. Tommy, I look down on the sideline, and I know we're in a pandemic, and I know they're not allowing folks on the sidelines like they used to, but it was noticeable, noticeable how few Florida State players were dressed out in that ballgame, if you've been around for any length of time. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it almost looked like a high school game in the pregame. Duke was thin, too. I mean, when you're watching the teams warm up, there's just not a lot of bodies there. Um, so hopefully there's enough for Florida State to play one more game. It'll be against Wake Forest. Kickoff time should be announced uh, probably uh, – uh, well, if you're listening to the Monday night show, we'll already know, but usually noon or so on Sundays when they get that out, sometimes on, on Saturday evenings. I haven't seen one yet. And uh, Wake Forest lost to Louisville and really was out of sync offensively. They, they've had some COVID issues, hadn't played a lot of football. Unlike Florida State, that didn't seem to miss a beat and actually got better offensively. Wake, which may be more of a passing team, their, their timing was off. And uh, I hate that they used the Louisville game to shake their rust off because Dave Clawson's a good coach, and I feel like Wake's going to be much tougher sledding for Florida State than what Duke was. I would agree. And Wake can score offensively when they're in sync uh, the Clawson's offense is not a three yards in a cloud of dust. Uh, if you if you don't remember that, just go back and look at some of the games they've played in. Uh, Louisville, by the way, played a fantastic ball game in order to beat them as, as as soundly as they did. And of course, you know what in the world's happened in the world in in, in college when uh, North Carolina can beat Miami as badly as they did and rack up 778 yards of total offense against the number 10 team in the country's defense. It's just, it's just 2020. What, what's weird and can happen, can happen. Because remember, this is the same North Carolina team that Florida State beat. Wow. Yeah, uh, crazy. To finish up on Wake, we'll talk more about them on our Wednesday show. But Wake uh, on the season is 4-4. Four and four. They're 3-4 and four in conference. And they've not won a football game since Halloween. They had a bye week November 7th. They lost to North Carolina, the same North Carolina team that just drilled Miami, 59 to 53. Their game against Duke was canceled. That was November 21st. They had nothing scheduled November 28th. Their game against Miami December 5th was postponed. And so for Wake, you know, same deal as FSU. That was the first time playing in four weeks when Louisville beat them 45 21 uh, on Saturday. So uh, we'll see. It's it's a battle of teams that uh, have had anything but a typical season, and, and it'd be nice if Florida State could finish on a winning note. Keith, any last thoughts before we finish here? Well, I think the Wake game is very, very important for a number of reasons, Tommy. Number one, continuing the momentum. Number two, for the kids that, that are there and playing to see some results from all of their hard work. And, and, and number three, just the optics of it. Um, you know, if FSU can roll out of here after four weeks off with back-to-back wins, uh, I know people don't put a lot of uh, faith and a lot of uh, importance on, you know, finishing up the last two or three games of the season as it talks about going into the offseason and, and the uh, winter workouts and hopefully into spring ball. 
but you remember the last game you played in a season. Uh, as a senior, you remember your last home game. But as you're going into those workouts, you remember the last game that you played, and you want that to be a good taste in your mouth. So Florida State needs to beat Wake. We'll talk more about it on Wednesday. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in on Front Row Knowles First Look.